Recording live from the Hoban Law Group here in Denver, Colorado, I'm your host, Eric Singular. Today we're talking about the state of investment, and we are joined by co-founder and CEO of Canopy Boulder, Patrick Ray. Patrick, thank you for being here with us. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, you know, your company has been responsible for accelerating and getting a number of great companies here in the uh, cannabis space up and running, thinking, of course, of Front Range Biosciences, Sauna Packaging, BDS Analytics, just to name a few. So it's a pleasure to have you on and talk about uh, with somebody with as much experience as you from investing and accelerating companies to get a sense of, of the COVID impact and perhaps what the new normal will be uh, for the, I don't know, cannabis incubation space, if you will. Absolutely. So, yeah, um, we're. Go ahead, Patrick. Yeah, we are, uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, investment has not halted, but a, a definite reduction in deal activity um, you know, a lot of investors have just watched their investments go to zero or close to zero. So uh, many investors are sitting or moved to the sidelines and are licking their wounds. Um, as a result, um, you know, the reduction in investor, investors being active, we've seen valuations come down um, significantly uh, in the market. But deals are getting done. Uh, you know, that powerful sense of FOMO that uh was uh, prevalent with investors in the market has faded a bit for now. Um, and But what remains is a real incredible upside potential. And I think um, for everyone in the industry who can uh, keep things going, uh, we have a really bright future together um, in the hemp and CBD and greater cannabinoid market. You know, Patrick, a lot of people use the words incubator, accelerator uh, interchangeably. They they talk about different ways that, that different early stage businesses can um, establish themselves. Can you describe for our listeners, what's the ideal type of candidate to enter into a program such as what Canopy Boulder grow, uh, uh, has, has, has put forth? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Bob, and thanks for asking. And uh, it's certainly something an accelerator, uh, the accelerator model evolved out of the incubator model, which uh, was pioneered in the in the 90s. And it was the incubator model was about getting uh, entrepreneurs and startups office space and surrounding them with, you know, wise business professionals to guide them in different, you know, standard areas like legal or HR or off. Um, often those incubator programs didn't have a timeline associated with them. So your startup could move in and then it was like, you know, when are they going to move out? Uh, the accelerator model was really born out of the tech industry in, um, in the mid two thousands. And it really took off in seven, eight, nine, uh, when capital wasn't as available, uh, because of the, um, the real estate bubble bursting and, um, you know, the entrepreneurial spirit didn't stop. Um, and the just like today, the entrepreneurial has not faded. The activity has not slowed down. Uh, entrepreneurs still need to be entrepreneurs and do what they do. So um, 
this idea of an accelerator with a time horizon. Usually it's a 13-week program, and there's a little bit of seed capital put into the company as the uh, company came into the accelerator, and yet groups like Y Combinator, 500 startups, and the model that we follow at Canopy Boulder is the Techstars model, and that was actually um, launched in Boulder, Colorado. So we've been able to have a great relationship with them and uh, learn from their best practices and apply them to the cannabis industry. So we remain a accelerator uh, model with some incubation services put in there. So the type of company that is interested in something like this, it, it, it varies. You know, it used to be people would think it was only idea stage companies, but we had a company in our last cohort that was actually a CBD brand doing um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales a month. Um, and we had a supply company, a packaging company doing uh, over $100,000 in sales a month. So, you know, the person who fits in an accelerator incubator is probably someone who realizes that they're not a perfect founder. They don't have all the answers and they realize entrepreneurship can be a, a lonely journey and they want to have people to come along with them that uh, share in the mission and, and the values and really want to accomplish great things. Well, now I like you. You use the the, the term "lonely," and, and certainly uh, that is a fact. Entrepreneurs are 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 oftentimes lonely because the visionaries, the folks that are driven to go build something, have difficulty having people that can keep up with them, or that there are people that can help uh, translate those skill sets so that it becomes more based in business fundamental principles. How has the 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 process evolved? Uh, in these COVID times, using virtual uh, technologies and and pitch platforms and the like, how do you replace that just intangible of being in the office with experienced people on a day to day basis? You know, Bob, you you nailed it, and I know there was a moment where you were starting uh, your firm, and and you you the early stages. I'm sure you were moving so fast, and I, I've you know really enjoyed. Uh, knowing you and, and working with your team and, and it, you, as an entrepreneur, you're looking for doers, right? And, and that doesn't change whether you're in person or not in person. Heck, our last accelerator cohort, we went virtual in week 10 of 13. So we had four weeks of a virtual accelerator program. Um, fortunately, we got a great team. We were already using Zoom. We had everything completely organized. Um, we just had to pivot. Uh, like everyone else. And uh, fortunately, it was a relatively easy pivot. We submitted the content. And then, you know, with most accelerators, um, you know, we just upped the communication. We made sure everybody was uh, stitched together just as, you know, we were in person, even though we were starting to go in different directions physically uh, because of COVID-19. And with an accelerator, usually the, you know, the, the grand finale is a demo day and investor previews and connections being made uh, as the company's transition from being in the accelerator afterwards. So we um, created the Canopy Boulder Investor Hub, and we took our investor introductions and preview and pitch events online. And now we have this super robust community of investors who come on every week to this Canopy Boulder Investor Hub that we launched and they come and listen to interviews with experts, and they hear pitches, and they go into deal rooms, and they engage with companies. And I'll, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you here. The engagement from investors is higher 
with it going virtual and being online than when it was in person. And it that's not something I would have predicted, but uh, a pleasant surprise. Very interesting, Patrick. And coming back to that theme of loneliness, when you take a look at the mentors that you have uh, right now, it's just a it's an amazing list of individuals who are there to help and uh, to to be a source where these young folks or young entrepreneurs can go and gain some knowledge and, and maybe shed some of that loneliness by being around people who are just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, give us a sense of, of what the benefits and advantages you see in the mentorship, uh, or maybe even a story that you have around it, if, uh, if one comes to mind. Oh, I mean, well, the mentors, we couldn't do what we're doing without, you know, a very large group of diverse mentors from inside and outside the cannabis and cannabinoid industry and hemp and CBD market, right? Uh, you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, the companies that we invest in are very diverse. They have diverse needs. Every founder and every team's different. So, you know, you got to build like a network or like a trellis on which these founding teams can grow. And, and the mentors provide that, that for us. Absolutely. And, you know, to speak to uh, the value of mentors, you know, in our first cohort, one of our mentors um, became a uh, founding team they loved, just loved the mission, loved the founder, saw that they could really plug in. Uh, they became an investor. And then the uh, COO, CFO for the company. And that relationship continues on today. But it's not something that just happened once. Um, You know, Front Range Biosciences, uh, you know, Nick Hoffmeister, one of the co-founders, was one of our mentors. And um, he spent essentially a year with us as a mentor. And, you know, the entrepreneurial itch uh, needed scratching. And... uh, they, he sort of shoehorned uh, the front range bioscience and founding team into Canopy Boulder to make sure stuff happens. So, um, you know, we've got, you know, a plenty of experiences and stories about mentors leaning in. And it's, it's exciting to see. We're, we're happy to facilitate that. Well, and, and as Eric pointed out, there's a, there's a there's a, a good number of success stories that have come out of your programs, and that's something that that of course uh, you should be very proud of because that's not always the case in this industry. There seems to be a higher uh, failure rate than than in most industries, and and that's because of its uncertainty in the nascent stages around it. But but talk for a moment about investor interest. You say that perhaps investors are more engaged because of the in virtual environment. Um, I watched you on a panel last week and, and uh, at the, the NOCO summer solstice event uh, and enjoyed that discussion. And, you know, there was this notion that when you've got investors at home, relaxed, maybe their children are there, they're, they've got time to unwind, to think about things, they don't have to drive from meeting to meeting, that you've really got their attention. Have the core principles of trying to get investors' attention changed in that environment, or does your message have to be tighter? What is it that, that you've noticed? You've got the investors' attention, now what do you have to do to sort of push that over the, the, the finish line, if you're the right fit? Yeah, you know, the, the, the reason we do pitch events and we attend in-person conferences to engage with investors is to, to develop a relationship and to have a conversation, which leads to another conversation, which leads to another conversation, right? No one's getting up on stage, making a pitch, coming off stage and collecting checks and signing docs for investment, right? 
a good pitch and a good presence and a good everything you do as an entrepreneur gives you a chance to seize an opportunity. And and you know we can still do that online. And in fact, you know every investor is not an extroverted individual, right? They're not leaping out of their chair in the life of the party. You know there are many investors who are introverted. And, you know, attending in-person events, maybe there's some, you know, hurdle they may, you know, they, they have uh, socially to get over to talk to people and they'll follow up and then life happens and they don't follow up. So when you're in a, you're online and you put everything together, um, a deal room and communication tools and pitch, uh, you know, it's just a click away to the start of that first conversation, which can often lead to an investment. And, you know, um, you know, with all the tools we have now, chat and Zoom calls and Google Hangouts and all that, it's, it's really easy to fire up the conversation and, and overcome that initial activation energy to get the ball rolling. And that, that's just, you know, hey, we're pleasantly surprised, as I said, with uh, the engagement from investors and our entrepreneurs. It's a really, really interesting point and something – Again, we've learned so many things during COVID that we we didn't necessarily know. And you you raise a great point just around personality traits and not uh, there's certainly a perception of investors that uh, that may not be very accurate. And we're very happy to hear that the investor hub uh, through Canopy Boulder has taken off. I want to come to a uh, a theme that's almost reoccurring on the Hoban Minute. Something we talk about a lot. Uh, because we're very interested in it, in it personally, and we know that our listeners probably are too, which is uh, what is it going to take to get uh, particularly the hemp and CBD side of this industry, what, what will it take to get the attention of the Fortune 500s? Um, and we talked about this a little bit before, Patrick, but I'd love to get your thoughts, especially now. Uh, there's a lot of companies when you talk to them where they just say, oh, is it, is it too soon? Uh, should I wait? And the struggle seems to be, at least for myself, in really trying to hammer home the point that it's not too soon, that the time is, is now. Because if you wait, uh, it's going to be too late. And, and the people who are a little more progressive and a little bit more aggressive are going to end up you know, winning uh, the race. So give us your thoughts on where the Fortune 500s are, particularly on the hemp and CBD side of things. Yeah, no, um, well, uh, we've got their attention, like 100%. We in the hemp and CBD industry have the attention of the Fortune 500 company. But there's a, you know, there's a big difference between being like in the stands, uh, suited up on the sidelines or, or on the field. Um, you know, when, when you're looking at a new emerging market like the hemp and CBD market, and, you know, it's like the market evolved to the point of legalization and, you know, so many of the conventional players in retail, consumer products, supply chain, they've all run up to this start line and stopped, right? They haven't, they haven't gone in uh, full force yet. Um, and they, it seems like they are waiting for more guidance from the FDA and just, more safety. And that, that is, if you want, if we understand how Fortune 500 companies work, it's completely understandable, right? They are relatively risk averse and have a lot to lose um, if they do the wrong thing. So, um, you know, that, you can look at that and say, oh, that's too bad. 
But for, 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 for me as an investor, and hopefully for the entrepreneurs listening, um, that leaves more room for upstart and extends the time they have until these Fortune 500 companies enter into this competitive landscape with all their skill sets, all their capabilities, and all their capital, right? Now, you know, as, a, as an upstart, as an entrepreneur, though, you need to build a business that effectively gets in between where those Fortune 500 companies are and where they eventually want to be so that you become a great acquisition target. Um, you can have your exit and you can have a um, bigger impact. You can have those Fortune 500 companies buy into what you're doing and increase your impact on the industry and society as, at large. So the these large companies are sitting on the sidelines but paying close, close attention. And to your point about creating additional runway uh, for these existing companies in the space to develop their brand, to develop their distribution, so forth and so on. Doesn't it seem, though, that once the FDA does issue regulations, whether that's this year or next year, and, and we, we understand that permanent regulations probably don't even exist until 2021, but isn't that really a green light all of a sudden for those large companies to come into the space so that companies that are positioning themselves now need to have that in mind? FDA regulations do not make everything clearer for everybody in the industry, but rather it seems to be a big uh, uh, wave of the flag and an introduction so that these large Fortune 500, these CPG manufacturers, so forth and so on, come into the space. How much of that threat can you anticipate and how do you deal with that? You know, Bob, you, <laughs> I so enjoy listening to Hogan Minute, honestly. Uh, for for uh, the points that you make and the way that you frame things. Um, so thank you for doing what you're doing. Um, I always enjoy I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, but, you know, I think that when we think about the CPG companies or the Fortune 500, including pharma, you know, uh, retail, even large private equity, uh, they don't like risk, right? Again, they have a, enormous businesses and um, when it comes down to it, you got to look at the people in charge. And these are often lifetime managers, marketers, uh, folks who uh, they don't want to fumble the ball uh, for their company. So the, the, the decision making is just not going to be, um, you know, always in line of the thinking around decision making and risk taking is just not going to be um, in, in line with the way it is for us as you know, hence CBD entrepreneurs and, and investors, right? So, so I, I look, I mean, I, again, I look at it as extending the, the window of opportunity for entrepreneurs to continue to build out, like you said, the brands and supply chains and the customer base and the relationships. Um, and, and frankly, those large Fortune 500 companies, when they come in and they look at the competitive landscape, they're going to try to identify um, who the top players are and decide if they want to um, build or buy, right? Do they want to compete or acquire? And if you're given a longer window of opportunity as an entrepreneur to expand and grow your business, you're, you become naturally a more appealing acquisition candidate for those companies. And, and, and you know, we hear a lot about selling out, um, but I like to think of it as buying in. 
you know, and, and they're, they're interested. They're reading the articles, the Fortune 500 companies, the marketers, the operators, the managers, the supply chain uh, pros. They're, they're monitoring it, right? They know it's coming. And, um, you know, they're just, they can't, they can't take the risk that we do right now. Um, but with the right guidance and, and maybe even just the first big player taking the leap, um, that sense of FOMO that, that we've felt and seen in the industry for so long, it may infect those Fortune 500 companies. And you may see that um, first action taken, followed by many other players who don't want to be left behind. Well, and, yeah, and certainly the, 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 the companies in their particular lanes are going to continue to compete with one another. For example, we saw Colgate come out in recent months with uh, a hemp toothpaste. Now, there's not cannabinoids enriched and present in that particular formula. It's hemp seed oil. But you've got to imagine that Colgate's competitors in the personal hygiene or the personal care space are looking at that closely and they're going to continue to drive each other. We've seen that with, with pet product companies too. So, uh, but, but, but extending that, that opportunity for the, com- the companies in the space now to develop those things is critical. And that's an excellent, excellent point. Now, Canopy Boulder is not the only canopy in town. And I look at when you, you look at the, the large companies, uh, the publicly traded companies out of Canada, uh, you've, of course, got Canopy Growth um, and its holdings and, and its various assets along the way. Now, they had to seize the day with all of that capital. And it seemed like the mantra at the time had been go out and acquire the entire supply chain. Um, and again, that's a bit of an overstatement to illustrate a point here, but you've always focused my, uh, very specifically at, on a micro level with specific companies and helping it build out those robust operations. Has the investor perspective based on your interactions with so many investors, has it changed from we need to own the entire supply chain to understanding that that's a quite ambitious objective to own a supply chain in anything. Talk about supply chain and investors' perspective of that in this space. Because at one point it was thought, or at least it, it appears that it was thought that we can own the whole thing, let's just go out and buy it all. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't necessarily work out for a variety of reasons. Where are we with supply chain being a focus for investors? You know, I, I don't know. I, it's a great question. And, um, I, you know, I don't know if, uh, anyone for a very long time will anyone own the entire supply chain? Um, you know, it's taken generations for companies like Syngenta and you know Monsanto until it was acquired to, to end up where they were, where they had so much force and so much power in that supply chain. And when they did, when they, when the companies do get to that point, you know, you've got uh, different problems you need to deal with. Uh, in terms of the power between corporations and government and, and everybody. And it's a sticky, it's a sticky situation when you get the big. So, you know, we're in, we're not near that point in the journey, nor should we be. And there's ample opportunity for um, professionals and entrepreneurs to focus and uh, win at what little piece of the supply chain uh, they, they, they want to tackle and then expand um, thoughtfully, um, uh, sustainably into other sectors. Uh, you know, look, I, you know, it, it's in, there's a lot of hubris um, 
from the outside looking in on the cannabinoid industry. And those of us who've been in the industry for a, a, period, a good period of time understand uh, it's a lot harder than it on the inside than it looks from the outside. So I don't I don't blame uh, entrepreneurs for pitching a grand vision, but maybe they were a little aggressive, too aggressive on the timeline uh, for getting there. Well, and uh, I just want to note, when we go back and look at the conversation we were having around the FDA and the Fortune 500s, Patrick, you bring such a great perspective because you spent 15 years in the natural products and dietary supplement industry, which is, of course, as we've talked about a lot on the Hoban Minute, where cannabinoids and CBD really fall under. So, you you know, it's great to speak with you and get your perspective on where we're going and what to look for. But I want to, uh, before we before we leave off, I want to get your parting advice for entrepreneurs, for anybody who's listening, who's thinking about starting a company or in those early stages. Uh, what What is some great advice that you can give to them? What should they be thinking about? Maybe particularly now with a COVID lens, uh, maybe not. Maybe these are just universal truths for anybody who's, who's starting out. Yeah, you know, uh, COVID-19 has changed everything. Um, and for our entrepreneurs, you know, um, you know, this isn't necessarily, you know, my, my advice, but when, when we went into our virtual program at, for our last Canopy Boulder Accelerator, we scheduled immediately 10 calls with the top 10 VCs um, in the cannabinoid industry. And uh, what we heard back is what I'll sum up here. Uh, they said, you know, look, if you're not growing 10, 12% week over week, and, it, and if you're not uh, 100% secure with your product market fit, and, and you may be concerned about the health and wellness of your customer group, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with um, cutting your burn and extending your runway. Um, you know, very few investors uh, will object to you conserving cash if you don't hit on those points uh, I just mentioned. Um, you know, and, and as an entrepreneur, it's, it's incredibly important to over-communicate in times of crisis to your key stakeholders. So um, call your investors, send them updates, let them know what's going on. You know, the difference between um, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, and the perception of entrepreneurs going through a crisis after crisis is predominantly founded upon how much they're communicating. Um, you know, when things go bad, things go bad. You know, not everything's under our, our control, right? But what is what, what we can control is the communication we have with our stakeholders. So, you know, I would, I would very much encourage entrepreneurs to, to, to up that communication. No, the communication is key in, in these things. And on, on a parting thought, I just wanted to comment on this notion of business fundamentals. And that's certainly something that Canopy Boulder focuses on. In fact, that's the, one of its core tenets, I know, having worked with so many folks that have been through your programs. But 
when people talk about what does COVID do? What is 2020 mean for the cannabis industry? I hear time and again, back to business fundamentals. And a lot of what you said describes, generally speaking, business fundamentals. But leave our, our listeners with just a couple of thoughts about what does it mean to be focused and to have solid business fundamentals? You know, I think the first thing I think of when you say that, Bob, is the ability to say no. Um, and the ability to say no to opportunities uh, that don't fit your plan and don't fit where you've decided you need to be and go, um, that ability is uh, difficult to find. There's a confidence that needs to be built up as an entrepreneur over time and a comfort with passing on uh, opportunities to, 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 or even to passing on fixing problems that exist. You know, you gotta, sometimes you got to let fire burn and address other ones, put other ones out. So that, that, that confidence, it doesn't come right away. Very few entrepreneurs have that from the start, but through experience. And then also from, uh, you know, building a good network of advisors and mentors and investors and people that share your vision and your passion for what you're doing that, that you can soundboard off to help you make those decisions. I think when, when you say that, that's what I think of. Well, I, I like that, Eric, and, and that's something we need to incorporate. It really is. This is the one time in the cannabis industry where the principle of just say no really, really does apply. And it, and it really hits home because that's what I've seen. The companies that have failed, um, there's lots of problems. And, and But one of the common denominators in companies that have not done well is that they think they can do everything and they pursue the development of relationships that don't necessarily fit, as Patrick says, within their core business function, with their core business plan. Um, and, and we've been around together, some of those companies. So um, just say no is, is, a, is a good place to leave this. Well, and Patrick, you've had a couple of great uh, field analogies. I just want to say one analogy about the ice, which is as Wayne Gretzky is, is famously uh, quoted saying, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Sometimes it's okay not to take the shot. Uh, you know, just say no. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pat, you're repurposing that phrase, huh? <laughs> wherever you are, Mr. Gretzky, don't uh, don't be offended. Patrick, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the Hoban Minute today and uh, talk about all these things with you. You guys do such incredible work. And to have you come on and, and give some advice to entrepreneurs out there, it's, it's invaluable. So we, we absolutely uh, couldn't be more thankful and grateful that you're here with us. Hey, um, uh, thanks for asking me to join. I want to thank uh, uh, you, Eric Paulson, for uh, helping us put this together. And Bob, uh, you know, you're a great leader for the industry and appreciate you leaning into it the way you have. Well, th thank you. And actually, you know what? Before we, we go, I just want to tell you something that you may not know. Patrick, you may have saved my life and you don't know it. We were talking one time over, uh, over a cocktail in, I believe, Oakland. 
um, somewhere in Northern California. And we talked just about, you know, as we age and, and just about general things you can do to support your health. And you told me about a, a, a group in uh, Boulder called uh, Colorado or Front Range Preventative Imaging. And uh, I went and, 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 and took you up uh, or, or took that up upon myself to go look at that and just had some different images of different things, heart health, so forth and so on. And they did catch something. This was about a year ago. Uh, everything's fine. But you may have saved my life without even knowing it, Patrick. So in addition to everything that Eric said, thank you for that. Oh, no. Uh, well, you know, happy to have uh, been of service. Uh, I, I remember that conversation. What, what more can you say? Thank you so much, Patrick. You take care out there. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. Be, be well. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hoban Minute. Do you have any ideas for episode topics or guests? We would like to hear from you. Reach out to us at media at hoban.law and stay tuned for more on the Hoban Minute.